the Mindset Athlete Podcast and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition and mindset coaching business. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got JP Nurborn. He's the author of Calling Up, founder of the Thrive On Challenge and host of the Coaching Culture Podcast. So welcome onto the show, JP. Awesome to be here, James. So for those that don't know you, and before we delve into actually getting into this episode, can you give a brief introduction to yourself? Yeah, uh, basketball was always my sport growing up. That's kind of my entrance into the athletics. Um, I was a multi-sport athlete. Uh, grew up in South Carolina in the states, and um, played. You know, was a played at the Division One level here uh, before I moved to actually Ireland. So I've been in lived in Ireland for six years. Spent a few summers in Lithuania, uh, coaching over there. And that's kind of where I got into coaching. And just kind of a wild story after I'd finished playing basketball at the University of South Carolina I took a study abroad trip over to Ireland and loved the place so much I moved there and walked into a gym one day just missing the game of basketball and asked if anybody knew it needed a basketball coach and then uh, obviously there's a large shortage in Ireland when it comes to basketball coaches so within a few weeks I was coaching like four different teams <laughs> I dropped out of my law I was studying law at the University of Limerick in Ireland and so I dropped out of that and joined the PE and sports science department there and got a four-year degree while coaching everything from, you know, mostly club level, uh, underage uh, boys basketball to uh, the men's super league, women's collegiate, um, you know, division one level there. And, uh, but I, I ended up coming back to the States, met my wife over in Ireland. And so I ended up coming back to the States and coaching high school there for five years. Um, so that's kind of my coaching journey is, is, now, now I live in Pennsylvania. Um, just we, we moved for personal reasons, just my my wife's job. But uh, kind of during my time in coaching, I had a lot of success when I was in Ireland, like just big, quick success as far as winning, um, which validated me and I got that bug of coaching. Um, I also had just pretty successful relationships, right? I was able to make a pretty strong difference in the people I was coaching in their lives. Um, just largely because of my passion, right? Like I had such passion and such heart when I came to coaching. Uh, but I started to realize when I came back to the States and I was coaching in Tennessee that um, I had grown as a tactical coach. I had grown technically, but I wasn't growing in my relationships with my players. And culturally, I was really struggling, right? And that was due to a, large, a few reasons. One is just there's a big change when I came back culturally, literally from Ireland to the States. Uh, people are different, you know, the way they interact. Um, I had become quite sarcastic <laughs> uh, from my days in Ireland, and so that wasn't appreciated as well as other certain behaviors in my coaching. And so I kind of stepped back and in my coaching journey in Tennessee and said, the way that I am coaching is not the best way. There's a better way. I need to find out a better way. I need to find a way. Like, I just can't keep blaming the players. I just can't keep blaming the parents. I can't just keep blaming the culture of today. I need to find a way that I can engage and build strong relationships with these people wherever they are at in their journey. Because the reality is this is my situation. This is where they're at. And so I hired a mentor, um, a guy named Jamie Gilbert, who worked with the organization Train to Be Clutch for a few years, wrote a book called Burn Your Goals, which was kind of my introduction to Jamie. Um, and Jamie. He uh, helped me kind of through that process and really kind of self-reflect as a coach and start to discover some better ways. So kind of went on a journey there and that led me to just researching the heck out of behavioral you know, psychology and trying to understand the dynamics of culture and behaviors and how we drive behavioral change in ourselves, but also in the, the people that we're leading. And um, then I just had this passion that uh, – I fell into of working with our coaches that really came from me in this process, you know, committing to the process. I'm going to become what I call a transformational coach, um, which I got from Joe Ehrman in his book, Inside Out Coaching. Committed to this fully and actually went, I thought this was going to be this great 
awesome feeling, right? Like I'm going to be making a difference. I'm going to be building character. I'm going to be pouring into kids' lives, building relationships. And, it's, and in the end result, we'll probably win more games. But that didn't happen. <laughs> um, we didn't win more games. We went through one of our, my most challenging losing seasons of my coaching career. And um, that caused me to write, right? And I started writing and I had just write a blog. And coaches started connecting with that, like somebody that was actually in the struggle. I think there's a lot of people that write articles and talk about success when they've that type of success, when they've won the big championship, um, when they've made it to a certain level. And here I was just a guy who was writing in the struggle and could connect with other coaches. And so that led me to start Thrive on Challenge, which is at the core, a coaching mentorship program that helps. I work with coaches wherever they're at, whatever level they're at. I work with uh, freshman high school, you know, lower level teams to d- collegiate division one teams in the States um, with those coaches. And I work with them first and foremost in a mentorship capacity to help them grow as a leader and then to build their culture. You grow as a leader first, then you can start to impact your culture. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up my story of getting to thrive on challenge. That's an interesting point that you raised JP in terms of obviously it's you perceived it as you needed to change as a coach, as opposed to, as opposed to what most people associate with any team sport, the player power. And so I'm, I'm talking more professionally, more than oh, high school would probably be, I won't say it's non-existent, but and the collegiate system, maybe it would be closer to the professionals. But that sense of, well, really, the coach doesn't have as much say. They do in a training environment, but at the end of the day, I think the only ones that would differ from that was probably be Ameri- more of the US-type sports where you've got your timeouts where you could rein it back in and say, well, you're not you're not playing towards the system. You, you're kind of wanting to get your name on the stat sheet and you're not playing team basketball, whereas I think with maybe European sports, at the end of the day, the coach can only give them a certain game plan they have to go out and execute. So it's that notion of, you said, that culture of blaming the parents and the athletes, it kind of depends on which continent you're coming from in terms of the the argument. Would you agree? Well, you know, I've kind of I've coached in multiple places. You know, you coach in Lithuania, it's a different dynamic than when you coach in Ireland. You coach in Ireland, you coach it's different than high school in Tennessee. Um, and then obviously your level differs, your circumstances and kind of where people are at in the journey. Um, but I ask this to every coach I work with in my coaching workshops. And the, one of the first questions I'll ask is like, if you could change one thing about your team, your culture, what would it be? You know, and most coaches will have answers around, you know, better leaders, more selfless, less entitlement, stronger parent support. You know, you give a long list of things that, we would love to change, but the only thing we can actually change, all those, all those answers are wrong because the only thing we can change is ourself. That's the only thing we can change. And so we can only invite others to change. And I think behavioral science, I think it's a psychology and understanding that. I think a lot of people pay attention to that these days when it comes to positivity and growth mindset and grit and all these things. Everyone's paying a lot of attention to that because they're trying to drive more change in people's behaviors. But at the end of the day, we can only invite them to change. The best way to invite people to change is to show them an example of, of, of that, right? Be a leader worth following and just really invest in your own growth. So there's a large part of it that I think, I think the first step for me was vulnerability of just saying, this season, I'm working on my leadership. I'm trying to become a better leader. I'm trying to become a better person. I'm working on these few, these, these things here. I'm working on being more patient, on communicating to you with love, right? And instead, of, out of some, instead of a place from, of fear. And that's very inviting for people to, oh, okay. And that's what Calling Up, my book, um, is all about. Is It's about first your journey, the coach's journey, and then calling up people to join you. And so that's that when you talk about the dynamics, you know, I, I don't think it, 
I think it looks a little different in every situation, but I mean, I've, I've spent, I've observed talks to the character and culture coach at um, the New England Patriots, Jack Easterby. I've talked to high level coach, you know, coaches and the highest, the most successful sporting organization in the world um, today, arguably. Um, and it's the same, you know, you, you face the same struggles. Players come into the Patriots, you know, Tom Brady's a certain level at 30 something years of age five Super Bowl championships. You got a new rookie coming out of Alabama. They're in different places, right? But you still just go and you find them, you meet them where they're at, and then you call them up from there. And so it's much about relationships there. And so, um, I, I don't know, I, so yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question. I just think the dynamics, yeah, they do change, but the principles don't. The but principles I'll, come at, I'll come at it from a different angle then, JP. And this is probably, we mentioned it off air, off air in terms of me working in education. This is probably something that is poignant and it will actually work within this episode is that sense of, in terms of you need to respect where the person is at, you can't change them if they're not ready to, to um, implement it and accept change. They, want, they need to be kind of striving and going in the same way and they they are initiating the change as opposed to you forcing upon them yeah yeah that's a great point and so there is a at a certain point where you're just inviting them you're just and so i think this is where coaches fall into this problem of i mentioned this in my book they see themselves as a savior like here i am to save you but we're not actually really being called to save or being called to just to serve. And that's what I think is the core of servant leadership um, is just, I'm going to offer this type of help to you. I'm here for you when you're ready. Right now I asked Jack, you know, what's account, what's, what's accountability look like in the Patriots. And he says, it just starts by accounting for one's ability by just accounting for one's ability. So they come and they assess where you're at, where you're here, this program. And at a certain point, yeah, there's standards. Like you, we talked off, off air before this, is just at a certain point, I, I, you're gone, right? You're, you're not, this, this team isn't for you. This culture isn't for you. But the real question is, I think so much, so often I focused on that. Like at what stage do I cut them loose? Instead of really trying to focus most of my efforts on what are new ways that I can meet the players where they're at? where I can engage them and connect with them. I think the great coaches, the really great coaches out there don't just take the really coachable players. I think they take the players that are in really deep struggles when it comes to being coachable. They have a lot of poor behaviors on or off the field. They're able to bring them in and motivate them and inspire them. Uh, and so I think those, those principles and those strategies I think are most interesting to me. Because I think that's where you know real where we really separate separate ourselves from being a good coach to a great coach. Right? Well, that's a good argument, you raised, JP. In terms of it's probably a sense of uh, a comfort zone, really having to having the better players because they don't need to, in a sense, motivate themselves. But then, on the other hand, uh, and I was listening to this on. The School of Greatness by Lewis Howes when he interviewed um, Rick Bettino. Obviously, how you motivate a professional athlete as opposed to a collegiate athlete is going to differentiate massively because for the professional athlete, they're playing almost every night, at most times very fatigued, whereas a collegiate athlete is going to get a little bit of respite and 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 you take that down another level onto the, the actual high school athlete, well, they're playing maybe every week. So that the actual motivational factors are kind of night and day between the individual because on the one hand for the the high school athlete, you could probably dangle a carrot in front of them or if you want to get to the collegiate level, you need to do this, 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 this. Same with the collegiate athlete. Well, if you want to get to the pros or well, you need to, you need to buy in. Okay. That's probably why you see a lot of the AAU athletes go to the likes of Kentucky, Duke, you know, the big schools because they're on national television probably every week. So they get it in that exposure. Whereas once you get to the professional level, well, what is the, what is your motivating factor as to 
what gets you up for every game. Okay, there's going to be, you got to be realistic. These people aren't robots. They can't perform at, we'll call perfectionism and be at 100% every single game because that's not possible. There's going to be bad nights. Uh, I think, in all honesty, if we kind of put Steph Curry as an example, the, the, the media, especially in the United States, likes to jump on and kind of um, criticize him because he doesn't show up in, in big games, be it some aspects of the playoffs. And I think the example they use is, you know, like the Christmas Day games. He's thinking, well, that's not fair. That's not fair because he is in a, a culture that is, revolves around team basketball. It's not around one person. You think of the only the only example where I could see with that, that would exemplify that is maybe Houston Rockets with James Harden. That is his team. He has to score. I think what was he averaging like forty points a game? Well, he has to, <laughs> he, he has to average that, or they will lose. So it's as simple as that. It, it's it's probably. I think the media doesn't help the younger generational athlete because they're going to take that as a snapshot. Well, I have to, I have to score 40 points a game because that, that is what society is saying is it's acceptable. Okay. If your team needs that, that's a different, that's a different story, but you don't necessarily have to fill out the stat sheet completely. I don't know, have a triple double in every game in high school, high school level. You gotta. It probably will isolate you at times because you will have people in your ear and say, "Oh, you're better than you actually are," and you're going to start believing that. Okay, there's going to be exceptions to that rule, but some of those examples don't help it. A lot of people, kids are within my school. They they will um, master their game on the NBA. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't pick up every trait that they have. I, I, I probably it's probably harsh on James Harden again, but he doesn't play team de- he doesn't play defense. But the notion where I've come from the argument is he's got four of the players, that's their job. Be rebounds, blocks. They've got to make those defensive stops for them to win, because he's gonna do do the work at the other end of the court. But for younger players to model their game on that you're thinking, well, most players in bygone eras would be content with stopping you on the end of the one end of the floor if you don't score as much. Okay, the get the games, the game now is completely changed. It's, you can't. It's apples and oranges. So that argument where they actually try and portray what the first five best players in the NBA. We can't compare because the, the the eras are polar opposites of each other. The, the, the game now in the 2000s where you, you can't touch a player, especially if they're a superstar, because of that lucrativity towards the individual. They're a commodity. It, the, the league doesn't want them to get hurt because it's, it is... Um, a brand for them to portray overseas and both stateside. So that it's, whereas maybe less so we're talking of probably the nineties with Jordan. That's probably where it started to come into fruition was with when Michael Jordan became a brand. Well, let's protect players like that because they are figureheads as a global brand and move forward. And I come back to my point now, kids trying to, model their games on that, it doesn't work. Okay, the reason why they've got to where they are as franchise individuals is because they've developed their craft and put in the hard work for a long period of time. And I'll end it on this one. Kobe Bryant talks about it a lot on Beyond YouTube clips, podcasts when he actually does Voice His Opinion. He talks about he was willing to put sacrifice and put in more work than people his own age when he was in high school to be able to get where he wanted to. So it comes to graph, grit, and what you were mentioning earlier. Those players are willing to put it in bucket loads because they have a plan for themselves in the long run. If I do more work than anybody else, 
my progress is going to go is going to exponentially be a massive curve as opposed to somebody else's. Well, I think you you know you touch on something there, which is yeah, there's these differences at the levels, um, and there's differences in the people, but it's there's some great stuff out there as far as how much does the environment play a factor. And so I think it's the coach's job to shape that environment, which is what we call the culture, right? Of what people do. And so we've got to kind of shape the culture. So any coach coming into a new program, they can keep things the way they are. They can start to add new things or try to take things out. But the big thing here is when it comes to motivation, I think we see a lot of coaches looking at this of um, this old school approach, right? And so we want, well, his, if a lot of, first off, a lot of coaches just go, well, this guy's either got it or he doesn't have it, right? They don't try to grow their competitive drive, their, their work ethic. And the work ethic, all these things, com, com, competitive drive, these are skills, they're not just traits you're born with. So they're skills. They're skills that we can meet and develop. So I'd say that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, how are we shaping the culture to help nurture those skills? And so all the research out there shows that carrots and sticks, kind of what you talked about earlier there, is not helpful, right? Uh, in most cases, we do not want to use rewards or punishment as motivating factors. Uh, this is in the business place. This is in education. This is in... Um, sports as well. The three big drivers of, of intrinsic motivation, right? They are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So how as a coach, do I start to give freedom up and start to become more of a player led culture, player centered? How do I show this path to mastery where they, you know, players can feel their progress. Um, and so when it comes to that, I like to look to a lot of the systems that even the author James Clear in his book Atomic Habits has put in with habit tracking. Uh, I've created some t- systems for teams on commitments, tracking those, um, just as they try to train these skills, they train these habits, right? Um, and the last one's just purpose, and just how do we align to purpose and just make sure that people um, are connected to something bigger than themselves. And so I think there's a lot of various kind of team strategies and activities that you can do in those things. But those principles of autonomy, mastery, and purpose, they don't change based upon level. They exist the same thing for Tiger Woods as they do for the eight-year-old playing golf. You know, and so it's how do we, how do we shape those principles to, to those athletes? I think that's the great challenge. But I'll ask you this one, JP. In terms of, say, a new coach is coming into an environment, and we'll use the collegiate system because it's a little bit easier, um, be it – Obviously, the the players who are there initially haven't been recruited by that coach. How does he win them over? Because you you talk of this notion of environment. Well, they might not, you could say on one hand, believe he should have got the position anyway. So how does he win those players over? And then it's still his environment. He had possibly at another program. I know you could work it in both at high school level and both and the pros, but that's probably where that's probably where the tangible is easier. Yeah, I think in most coaches' cases, so most coaches that are listening to this, we do not get to have great discretion in who we get. Like we we may be selecting a team, but we're not really heavily involved in the recruiting process early on, right? Like we get a team, we make the cuts, whether we're youth, underage, or even taking a college job, or if you take a professional team, you are given a debt, you're given a hand, right? And you've got to work, you got to, you got to work with that hand that you've been dealt. Um, now there's things that you can do over time, but I think initially when you come in there, you want to, I, I think my biggest mistake early on when I moved from Ireland to Tennessee was I had this vision of what I wanted my team to be. I set the vision, I set the values, I set the standards, and it was all coach-led. And so I did not tap into autonomy or purpose when it comes to the motiva- uh, when it comes to motivation. So you could come in there and you can impose, try to pose your will upon people. 
And you can be successful at doing that. Nick Saban came in Alabama football, you know, 10 years ago, and more, or a little bit more than that, and he had a vision. He implemented the vision, and he went out and recruited the guys that he wanted, and he's done it, right? So you can do that, and you can be successful. I'm not trying to talk about effective coaching, though. I'm trying to talk about beneficial coaching. What I mean by beneficial coaching is that you nurture relationships and you build character. Not just win games, not just score lots of points. And that's what transformational coaching is about, not transformational versus transactional coaching. You can be highly, you can win a lot of games and produce some fairly talented athletes from a very transactional effect approach of the old school carrots and sticks mentality. So as a college coach, the first thing I would do is I come in and ask a lot of questions. I would try to first seek to understand just what's going on here. How do you guys do things? Right? And then let's keep what is working here. What things do we need to keep doing that you guys enjoy about this experience of playing for this team? What type of things are working that, that you see? Now tell me what's not working. And tell me why it's not working. And so I think every coach would, should come in and they should, the first thing they should do is they should down with every player and they should do that. There's a great coach. Uh, some people may have heard of him. Uh, Jim McGinnis, he was the manager of Donegal, uh, the Irish Gaelic football team. I think he was helping out with Celtic uh, football club as well. And, um, but that's one of the first things he did when he took over Donegal is he went in there and he, he talks about it in his book, Until Victory Always. Uh, Jim McGinnis goes in there and he calls a big meeting. And he doesn't come in there and say, like, I've got this vision for Donegal and how we're going to go win the All-Ireland. He comes in and says, what's been working? What's not been working? Right? What do we need to change about the way we're doing things? And he starts to facilitate their opinion. And here's the thing. When we ask those questions, we're going to get a lot of the same things that we want to see happen. And you're going to get plenty of things to go ahead and start changing. Um, there's a great book out there, Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And there he shares an example of a, uh, this kind of uh, Navy, Navy sea, uh, sea captain that takes over one of the, the worst you know, ships in the entire American fleet. Um, and it had the worst ratings in all the categories. And that's the first thing he did. So he called in every person on that boat. I think it was over a thousand uh, sailors. He asked him, what do you enjoy about this ship? What do you not enjoy? And if you were the captain, what's one thing you would do differently? And if he could do it, he implemented it right away. You know, and so we're, that's how you move to a player-centered culture. Now, if those players don't buy in, they don't raise their level, they start setting standards not following through with it, you start recruiting players at will. And there's a whole different process to how we select people. You know, I think that's a whole another discussion, right, is how we select people. How do we recruit? <clears throat> how do we have a great tryout? If you're a coach that has to do tryouts for teams, uh, that, that's, a whole, that's a whole other thing we could talk about too. But in terms of what you mentioned there, obviously the the high school moment is going to be more about tryouts as opposed to the collegiate. Okay, you're going to have your walk-ons, but that's where that's the indication that's going to arise. Um, I think pro level, well, you've got your you've got the draft, and also you're going to have your, the, the tryouts prior to that so they can kind of get well how does this player tick and we can see it in the flesh and not be game film and whatnot where it's very much depending on what kind of team they're at a lot will revolve around that player but they can see them for, for first hand for themselves and see well where where is your strengths and weaknesses and I think that that that's example that you do use JP in terms of it being player led and be very much of a sense of relationship where, where everybody's pulling in the same direction and the players have not just that perception that their voice is being heard, but they're being able to implement things going forward gives a person a greater sense of, I would say, gratitude in, in a sense because, well, okay, I am being able to firsthand being able to implement things when they go when they're going in the right direction because I've been I've had first hand experience to be able to put that into fruition. Well 
I like to think of it as I always use this analogy when we're talking about player led cultures of a sled dog team. And so if you study sled dog teams, um, there's typically eight to 10 dogs. And then there's a musher guy who's driving it. And his two lead dogs are special dogs that they're very actually keen and trained to look for places in the ice that could break, sniff out the trail. The musher actually doesn't even really keep them so much on the trail. He just sits back and observe, right? And so everyone has a different role there. Um, And so, yeah, I think the coach is sitting back there directing. He has the bigger picture, and he's driving them towards what they want to achieve. It's not just blind, right? So it's asking questions, like sitting down with your team at the beginning of the year, you know, facilitating those things about what's working, what's not. And then the next thing is asking them, you know, what do you want this experience to be like? What do you want this year? What do you want this season to be like? How do you want to measure and define success for us? And then it's like, well, how do you think we, we can best get there? And what are the standards we want to hold ourselves to? And are you really kind of driving that dialogue? I haven't seen a culture yet where you're going to go in there, a team yet that we've worked with, a coach that's worked, you know, got in there and asked them. And they're like, yeah, we don't want to be successful. Everybody wants to be successful. <laughs> When they define what type of teammate do you want to be? Nobody says, well, I want to be lazy, entitled, selfish. You ask, kid, you ask kids, you ask professional athletes, everyone's going to say, I want to be selfless. I want to be caring. I want to be a great teammate. I want to work hard. I want to do all those things. And then you're going to ask them to define what the behaviors are. What are the standards that you guys want to hold yourselves to? And they're going to say, we want to come in here and work hard. We want to show up on time. We want to treat each other with respect. We want to hold each other accountable. They're going to, out, they're going to lay it all out there for you. You just got to guide them to that. Then you have a vision. It's your vision. It's their vision. Now it's our vision. You don't have to be a, a 50 years of experience coach. You don't have to be Bill Belichick or you don't have to be a coach to be able to know those type of things of what you want and what you value. But the, the skill, the art comes in with the coaching is how to now start to move that, that culture towards that how to drive those behaviors, how to encourage those behaviors, how to be an advocate before you have to be the person, the accountability police. Right? We all talk about accountability and hold guys accountable, hold to standards, but how are you encouraging that, right? And so you talk about, say you go to a culture there and you can be college or anything and the guys can't show up on time. You have two different approaches and you can bring both of these approaches. One is if you don't show up on time, there's going to be a consequence. That's, and so now we can talk about the consequence and how you can drive the behavior with the consequence. So one of the consequences could be, I'm going to make you run. The other consequence could be, you're not going to get to practice. And I would choose the latter, right? Because practice is a privilege. And so once again, I'm coming back to this intrinsic motivation. I'm trying to get you to see practice as a privilege. Conditioning is good for you. I'm not going to make you do something good for you if you fail to show up on time. So there's a lot of little things you come into driving these behaviors. So you're not going to, Practice today. Practice is a privilege, an opportunity to get better. It's, it's, it's an opportunity for you to become the player that you said you wanted to be at the beginning of the year. Now, that's the accountability piece. But where's the advocacy piece coming there and how we respond? That's where we step in and say, hey, this is the third time you should have played to practice. What, why is that hard for you? Well, and then you start to dive in. You start to discuss with them. You start to have empathy and understanding for that nobody's been in their life or there's not a parent there or there's not somebody that's, that's you know helps teach them to have the self-discipline to wake up on time, to go to bed at a good hour, to eat a healthy meal, all these things that we run into issues with, nobody has taught them. So you have to step in and now you have to intervene. And so if you take on a program with, that has a lot of players with a lot of unacceptable behaviors, or you recruit a player with a high, high level of talent, but really low on the character skills, you got more work cut out for you. Right? So now you have to step in. You have to be an advocate. You can't just have the accountability piece because then you're going to lose some. Right? You're going to ask guys to leave. You're going to run them. You're going to use all that stuff. Eventually, you'll lose some. You want to get more guys that struggle. You want to call them up. That's where the advocacy piece comes in. So it's helping them, helping to understand what they're struggling with and then saying, well, how can you overcome an obstacle? When you hit the snooze button three times, when you start eating, not following your diet plan, when you lose your head in the game and you – mouth off of the refs. 
how can you overcome that obstacle? Helping them put a place, a plan in place, and then also asking, how can I help you in those moments? How can I help you to build this habit? And that's where character building comes in. I think a lot of people approach character building in sports with just you know lectures and you know different curriculums. You just build character right through the sport. The sport is itself the character, the, the, the grounds on which we build character. Build the character, you drive the culture. I think you raised a good point there because I think when I'm asked how do I ident- identify sport to me, you talk the notion of respect, determination, um, well, not willingness to win, but in, in terms of you, you've got a goal and you're going to shoot for it. Uh, and obviously you're going to, there's that selfless act. At times you, you've got to be a little bit self-centered because there are people and things on the periphery that are going to pull you away from what you want to aspire to. So you've got to kind of be single-minded and, and kind of stay on these, uh, the railway tracks or the road because your values or vision and mission don't tally up to what other people want you to do. And probably high school is the very, very empathy uh, epitome of that because you've, you've got obviously girls partying. That's all going to detract, detract you from whatever your team goal may be, be it state championship or whatever. You've got to be able to realize and say, well, what's the most important thing to me? Okay. At that particular time, I would like to think that, well, I would know firsthand, and, and you probably can amplify as well, education does take a little bit of a backseat. I think it's going to depend on the individual, on how much they put on the importance on their education. Most athletes would put it way behind their sport, and that's maybe where I see problems. At. It's like, well, what's what is wrong with having this notion of they both having an equal footing. Okay, I'll use myself as the example. I perceived education to a lesser degree because my goal and vision was to get as high as, high as I could in sport later down the years. Whereas um, my parents have said to me, well, why, why did you have this notion of not wanting to exceed higher in the classroom than you actually did. And I think that comes maybe down to this notion and culture of what movies are portraying. You know, the the culture of the jocks need to act a certain way. The academics are over here and you can't intermesh. Whereas where I went to school, it was one and the same. And it wasn't until my senior year that the light bulb went off. Okay, that's probably too late. I can't make a significant impact on my grade point average because I've lost two years, be my sophomore and junior year, where I could have made a massive difference in terms of where I actually finished that. Okay, I probably brought it up a little bit. Okay, it's it's a regret to some extent now, but I have to accept that that's where I was at mentally at between the ages of probably... 14 and 18, 19 years old. Whereas I'm now in my thirties, I don't think the same way or I don't act the same way, even as, as an, as an athlete, I'm not to a certain extent, not naive in certain things I do. I know there's going to be a consequence, good or bad in whatever I pursue. Well, I think you might be a little bit hard on yourself when it comes to your engagement in, in school. I mean, I think that's the story of a lot of people. And I think this is where education stinks. And I think this is where athletics stink. I think that our, our traditional approach is I'm the coach or I'm the teacher. I'm teaching. If you're not learning, it's your fault. It's because you're not motivated. And we are okay with that because People are still learning, right? There are certain people that take to that, um, that are highly motivated in that environment, and they can sit in their desks, look at the teacher, or show up to practice on time, do everything we ask. And so as coaches, we just look for those players. As teachers, we just teach to those kids a lot of the times. 
I think the great teachers and the great coaches are, like we said earlier, are the ones that can connect with the kids that aren't inspired and help them to tap into some of that intrinsic motivation. I think that's what really, like, you know, I think is um, like a teacher or coach that's a great motivator that really is about inspiration, tapping in into the person so they not only feel that other people believe in them, but they believe in themselves. And I think that's what, you know, did somebody do that for me in education? A few people did. And I raised my standards there. But I think the, pro- the, the approach we have in education is, is, is pretty crappy in most schools. Um, just memorize this. And as a, as a young person, I realize this, and you maybe realize this, that, yeah, I'm going to forget all this. And so this has nothing, you know, like, what, what good is this for me, right? And so, like, I'm not motivated, right? This comes back to mastery and, like, purpose, of our motivations. It's like, well, I didn't really see the higher purpose other than like, I get the grades, you know, and our, especially as adolescents, you know, our, our development, we are not able to see all the research shows us. We're not able to really think about the consequences of our actions long-term. We think so in the short term. And um, so thus those talks of, you got to get it together, James, if, you want to go to college someday and you want to be successful and you want a nice job, you want a nice house and all that stuff. We don't listen. Most of us don't, right? Because we don't think that far. We're adolescent boys or girls and, and uh, we're, we're stupid. <laughs> we think we know it all, but that's the reality, right? So as, as, as a teacher, as a coach, that's my big thing. It's just, I'm going to try to do everything I can to prevent and present an environment that can help you to succeed, to thrive, to thrive in. And that's where I think I look back and know, and I don't beat myself up over it, but I know that there were some people in Ireland when I was really successful, and there were some players that I lost that left the club because of my approach, because of the way that I acted. Because I was winning, I didn't, I didn't really think too much about it. I just kind of said, eh, he's lazy, just didn't want it, and I moved on. But I know now that if I was to able to coach the way that I do, I know now that that player may not have left. That player could have been really successful, not just as an athlete, but it, I could have helped turn his life around. Right? I could have been really instrumental in that. And I hope in five years' time and ten years' time, when I step out and I'm coaching, that I'm going to say, "Man, you know, even ten years ago, like I, I let some guys fall through the cracks." Right. Um, so that's, that's just what I think that our drive is as far as transformational coaching, right? It's, it's really trying to focus on how we can serve the athletes, serve the student. But this notion also of, uh, this is where I probably see the problem with education as well, is most of probably in the UK, and I use the example, they have forced, probably too hard of, harsh of a word, but be maths and English onto physical education but you never see the other subjects take the good things from physical education to instill to instill to themselves okay the exception would probably be science because there's obviously a crossover but you're thinking well physical education and, and it's probably sports science as a whole has taught things massively because you've got obviously how people take on information from learning perspective now across the, across the whole board is auditory, visual, or kinesthetically. Okay, the ones that I can do all three, I may, I'm quite fortunate in a sporting sense, I can do all three. So the coach can give me information however he wants and I can absorb it, ego, bang, implement it. Whereas those learners that are taught or primarily in school would be auditory and visual, but the ones that can learn through practice, thinking you're talking a different language to me. I, I, I can't, I, it doesn't compute, uh, com- compute what you're telling me. So I think at times, I think you talk of the better teacher and the better coaches, they're able to tap into that individual and find the best word that they learn. Okay. The, probably the better sports are that, that you see first and foremost is obviously American football because you'll see them on the sidelines with um, the, the playbook or, or the actual pictures from 
previous players as to, well, this is what we did right, this is what we did wrong, and be able, and be able to execute it. So I think schools, the better teachers probably going, are going in the right direction. But I see where some, some struggle is they're not able to adapt their teaching style to the people that are in their classroom. Yeah, and I think that that's where you really see, you know, like audience and coaches, you know, they, they, we, we struggle. It's a big challenge, though. I mean, it's, it's just really hard work. Um, the transactional approach to coaching, I'm just, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to set the rules. You're going to do it. You're out. Or punishment. Like, that's, that's, sorry, it's just way easier to do that, you know, and just coming in there and trying to meet every individual where you're at, build a relationship with them, tailor the, tailor the learning environment to fit their needs, it's really hard work. Be intentional with your language. Be intentional in the way you get feedback. And there's so many things I go into my book about is just really just comes into how do we get feedback? How do we, we communicate? You know, and there's so much misinformation there. There's such a big gap between what science and even experience of successful leaders. There's a big gap between those two things what they tell us and what we actually do. What we do on a day-to-day basis, the systems we have in place, whether it be in education and athletics, sports and business, massive gap. And, and, and it starts, um, starts with the, the, those leaders, those teachers, those coaches really starting to address and think about retraining the way that we operate. How do we operate like day-to-day basis, you know? Uh, we have to retrain it because we'll teach and we're going to coach. We're going to lead just the way that we were led. And my penultimate question to you, JP, is this, and you might actually answer that already, is if you wanted to get somebody to either challenge or change their perception of their mindset and to become 1% better each day, how would they go about doing it? If you wanted to challenge a teacher, coach, or are we talking an athlete or – um, we'll go from uh, we'll go from both an athlete and a coach perspective. So that's the big that is the big um, challenge here, and I think the what it starts with is coming back to what's the vision, like why do you? And I what I ask coaches, why are you coaching? Why are you coaching? And every coach is going to say, well, you know. Most are going to say, because I want to make a difference in people's lives. Why are you a teacher? Because I want to make a difference in people's lives and have, you know, three months off every year, right? <laughs> you know, or something, you know, but not a joke on the, on the ladder, but not really. Uh, I was a teacher, so I can say that, you know. Um, but yeah, we, why, do, why are we in this? But then it's to start to help them to uncover that that's not really their only why. Like I was coaching, I walked into a gym in Ireland um, and asked if they needed a basketball coach because I just wanted to get back in the game and I loved basketball and I want to make a difference. Six years later, I'm coaching because it's part of my identity. People saw me as a basketball coach. People called me coach. When I won, people praised me. When I lost, people criticized. And all of a sudden, my why, why was I coaching every day was – validation trying to validate myself um so i think it's really trying to understand and come back to our why and go no 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 i really just want to make a difference i want to help make a difference in these people's lives okay if you want to do that then are you willing to consider that the first way you learn to coach or teach lead is not the best way just are you willing to consider that all right if you're willing to consider that, then let's talk about what science and all this stuff tells us, but the way that we're operating. And so that's, that's the first step is just trying to get people to come back to their why and then to really ask them, you know, why do you coach that way? Is there a better way? There always is a better way. There's always, like it comes back to the whole idea of 1% better. There's always a better way. The way I'm doing things now, I can definitely do them better tomorrow. And, and just knowing that and just being able to accept that and admit that I'm not necessarily admitting that I'm a bad coach, but just admitting that the way I used to do things wasn't the best way, and now I'm doing them even better. And that I hope next week that I'm not going to be doing them 
the same way. I'm going to found a better way. We're not admitting we're a bad coach, bad teacher, bad leader, anything like that. We're just saying, I found a better way, everybody. <laughs> so now I'm changing. The way I used to coach, yeah, yeah. All right, we're not going to do that anymore. And my final question to you, JP, before we wrap up the episode, is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? The change starts with you. The change starts with you. That, that's my thing, right? If, you know, it's just if you want a better team, better culture, all that stuff, you want to better, you know, make a bigger difference, it, it starts with you. So once again, JP, thanks again for coming to the podcast. Absolutely. I'm James. It's been uh, an, a real honor to be on here and kind of have a great conversation and share so much um, about my passion. And so I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, the pleasure has been all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let JP and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at JP Nuremberg. That's J-P-N-E-B-U-R-N and at James O. Roberts 11. You can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And again, do check out his book, Calling Up, Discovering Your Journey to Transformational leadership and once again do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources make sure to check those out the links will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsim.com under the category psychology so once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you next week for another episode of the mindset athlete podcast.